We probably have been through three or four iterations of our like core AI model that we've been building in-house. I think at one point we went from like having each part of the pipeline, each part of the like machine learning pipeline in like one API where we just like send a text and it sends a response back. And then we like decoupled everything and moved it towards like individual microservices. And then we were like, okay, we're happy with that. And then we put it all back together. From an efficiency standpoint, building this, like <laughs> we probably shouldn't have second guessed ourselves. My name is Nate Jones. I am the co-founder and head of innovation at Structurally. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Nate Jones built the tool to help you spend more time closing and less time qualifying. All this and more on Code Story. Nate Jones was born and raised in Iowa. And in fact, he plans to spend out the rest of his days there because he loves it. He playfully calls it the Silicon Prairie, though he admits that most people don't call it that. He studied at Iowa State University, majoring in geographic information systems and urban planning, which is basically mapping on steroids. He learned how to map topography three-dimensionally using tools like ArcGIS. Outside of tech, he loves to hike, kayak, golf, and generally be outdoors. In college, he was very interested and connected to the real estate industry as urban planning works closely with realtors. He figured out that lead follow-up was a huge pain point for realtors, which piqued his interest and led him to build some tech to solve the problem. This is the creation story of Structurally. Structurally is a uh, conversational AI company. Uh, we follow up, qualify, and nurture leads of all sorts, basically. So your business, most people here listening probably work at a business or have a business, um, and they most likely have leads, uh, and they have to convert those leads into sales uh, to grow revenue. So that's where our product kind of fits in. Uh, it texts and emails uh, leads, follows up with them for a long period of time, and then when they respond, actually has a two-way conversation with them to ideally qualify them, you know, ask uh, if they're interested in buying, answer their questions and set an appointment or demo, uh, or disqualify them or set them for longer-term nurture if necessary. So that's all done using uh, conversational AI that we've built. Structurally is my first job, first and only job ever. Uh, I started it straight out of college. Uh, I went to Iowa State University. Um, we got our start there, um, and we we basically ended up, uh, you know, urban planning, uh, community regional planning. What I studied works pretty closely with like realtors, real estate agents. Um, obviously, you have to have uh, real estate developers and agents to build a city at some point. Um, so, I was super interested in real estate just generally in my time at school, um, and I spent a lot of time like talking to realtors. And this problem of lead follow-up was like number one priority on their list of like, hate. they hate doing it. Uh, so that really piqued my interest. And I said, okay, 
maybe I'm not super into like real estate or I don't want to go like be a realtor or anything, but like I like the tech side, I like solving this problem side of things, so let's go solve it with technology. Uh, so we actually sought out some, um, they were then PhD uh, graduate students in statistics and mathematics at Iowa State, uh, which has a phenomenal graduate program in stats and math, uh, and said, you know, can you help us with this basically AI problem, which is just math and stats. Uh, and it just happened that they were uh, specifically studying like computational linguistics and that's perfect for things like natural language processing and conversational AI as a whole. Um, and we said, hey, let us try, let's try and solve this lead follow-up and qualification problem with technology rather than like a human call center, which has been done for 20 years. Uh, and that's really where we got started with uh, some of that core team of basically AI engineers, myself and my co-founder, Andrew. Uh, that was kind of the core, you know, founding uh, team with our engineers. Well, tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, what sort of tools did you use to, to bring it to life and how long it took you to bring it to life? The very, very first one was built by me. Um, I, I decided I was going to use a chatbot builder. So this was like 2015, 2016-ish. Uh, that was a big, like, thing. Um, chatbots were on, like, the real top of their uh, their hype curve, I'll say, at that time. Um, so that was part of like what was kind of pushing us, I think, in this direction. Um, so, you know, I'm not a software engineer by any means. Uh, so I was like, can I prove this idea with an MVP and validate that someone finds it useful without spending a bunch of resources to build it, which is, I guess, how you define an MVP, basically. So uh, I ended up building it with um, a few chatbot builders. I tried, I think I ended up going with like one called Maya um, back in the day. Um, and another company called Smooch, which was now actually acquired by uh, Zendesk. Um, they help with omni-channel messaging, essentially. So really easy out of the box, like Twilio integration and uh, mess web, web messenger, so live chat integration that they built natively. So I like stitched those together and demoed it to realtors like in office. They liked it. They saw like a super rudimentary conversation. And then we actually took it to two conferences in the real estate space that are like the biggest in the space. One's called uh, Inman News and the other is called um, obviously National Association of Realtors, NAR, so the big ones. Um, no product other than the MVP, took it out there, bought like the startup row, like super cheap booth, and got a ton of feedback on that really basic uh, demo, basically MVP from Realtors Live in Action. And that was really how we got things started. Real estate happened to be a really great kind of niche starting point because there's lots of leads in that market, lots of salespeople who hate following up with leads. Uh, and that's kind of really where we got our initial footing. So in that MVP, you, you probably had to make certain decisions and trade-offs. So, you know, you mentioned different products, different vendors to use, how to stitch it together, essentially to get it working, to prove it. And, you know, there's there's obviously you know thoughts around 
what features you do first, what's important in the core, and then even technical debt. So like, there's some of that in what you were describing too. So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. I think like really early on, one of the things that was just um, absolutely necessary with our product that we felt like was, we didn't actually realize was so important, but looking back at it was like necessary for the real MVP was a mobile app. Just out of the box, you know, realtors are on the go. Salespeople as a whole are on the go. They need to be able to see our conversations happening in real time and jump into them, which is now a core feature of our product. But for the longest time, we didn't have a mobile app for uh, iOS or Android, Um, but we needed one. So I think like early on, had I kind of looked back at what I was prioritizing product-wise, I would have built a uh, mobile apps first. Uh, We ended up going with um, React Native, uh, which is amazing because we can just (laughs) kind of spin it up pretty easily. Um, So I think that was a huge trade-off that we did the wrong way. Um, One that we've kind of looked at um, now, moving forward from where we're at and where we started, kind of coming back to your tech debt question. One of the best advice I got from um, a a local kind of dev shop here in Iowa was when you're building a product, build generally and market specifically. I think we did the inverse where we built our product really real estate specific. Uh, All the terminology in there was real estate based. And then like two years ago, we had to rip it all out and basically generalize every part of our product had we just started with a more general kind of framework and approach in building our product from day one i think we would have saved at least six months of dev work uh, which was basically just like you know renaming everything and refactoring everything because uh, it was way too real estate specific well from that point then you've got your mvp you've made your trade-offs you've proved the model um, how did you progress the product from there? How did you mature it? And I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. There was actually like a really big inflection point in our company, maybe two or so years ago, where um, we had this idea of, so with our product, we have to integrate really well with CRMs and lead gen companies and lead management tools because, you know, salespeople as a whole, like don't want to log into another product. And our product works really well with leads. We have to get leads. We have to have the two-way back and forth conversation. So our salespeople want to see that conversation in their CRM and take it over and manage it. Um, So we've spent a lot of time building integrations with CRMs and lead gen tools. And what we actually found was we went to these companies, these other tech companies directly and said, uh, we really need a really strong integration with you guys. What can we do? And they just kept saying, well, what if we could like white label your product? You guys can use our messaging infrastructure like Twilio and things like that because they already are have like texting built in, but not the AI piece. And then, uh, you know, we're, we become your customer and resell it to our customers who you're already getting uh, one way or the other. So we call that more like we called that more of a platform as a service, like a pass offering. And that really took off like two years ago, 
which was a totally different product than this like agent facing dashboard where they log in and manage kind of our product through the, our dashboard. So we actually had to build a whole nother pass like API product that was essentially just our conversational AI engine as a service, nothing else. It was just you sent you, the technology provider sends us a lead, sends us their message, and we send you a response with other data that we've extracted and so on and so forth. And then it's just built into their product. So that is really like where things evolved and uh, pushing a lot more into that API platform as a service product. Uh, and that's where we're gonna continue to push. Um, so right now we're trying to always figure out how to support both products uh, and make it feel like one product that it really is. I would imagine when you built the platform as a service, you had to consider a lot of scaling in, in how you built that, especially if you're integrating with some of the big guys. But I'll come back to that. What I want to make sure before we go too far is, is to talk about team. So how did you go about building your team uh, in the early days and even now? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? It really came back, it came to luck. I mean, in, in, uh, in college, when we were looking for these um, AI engineers first, since that was like our core need that we needed up and, up and running since our product was literally conversations, uh, conversational AI, um, we lucked out and we found these really bright people in the PhD program at, uh, at Iowa State. Um, I think looking back at that, one thing that um, stood out about our really successful uh, AI engineers and engineers as a whole uh, and team was just a, a bias towards action. One of the things that like I have a love-hate relationship with like PhDs uh, as a whole because sometimes when you go down that path, you basically are setting yourself up to be in school for life. You're probably going to graduate to become a professor. And that is a whole different world than startup land because in startups, you know, you have to deliver and change and release and productize and commercialize like every single day you should be releasing to production. In academia and research land, you can work on a research project for three years and no one's going to bat an eye. So one thing that like we look for, especially in those like really senior roles, that are you know really uh, important for like pushing product, as, especially uh, even across you know not just engineers, even in marketing and sales, like is a bias towards action. Are you going to try and release small bits of whatever you're working on daily, or are you going to sit here and try and make a perfect plan and spend two weeks, you know, making this perfect Google Doc or Slide Deck or something? Because that just doesn't work in startups. So looking for people who have side projects that they push constantly uh, was, was one way that we found like really successful engineers and still do. Well, let's dig into scalability a little bit. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? And I kind of have a feel where you're going to go with that one. Or were you fighting this as you grew? I think we were relatively scalable to start. Um, I think that one of the things, like we we probably have been through three or four iterations of our um, like core AI model that we've been building in-house. Um, 
I think at one point we went from like having each part of the pipeline in each part of the like machine learning pipeline in like one API where we just like send a text and it sends a response back. Um, and then we like decoupled everything and moved it towards like individual microservices. And then we were like, okay, we're happy with that. And then we put it all back together. Uh, so I would say like from an efficiency standpoint, building this, like <laughs> we probably shouldn't, just shouldn't have second guessed ourselves as much as we did. Um, Cause we ended up like coming back to the original solution we had. But in terms of um, like scale scalability, um, of our API, so this comes back to the different products. Um, our typical like SaaS offering, where agents are logging into this dashboard, that um, has always kind of had some scalability issues, just because there's a lot of data that has to be fed in terms of leads that they're ingesting, syncing back to other CRMs, um, bringing in all sorts of teams that in users that they're bringing in and. Um, so that one I would say is far, was far less scalable and we're still working towards that now where the, the pass offering was almost immediately scalable. Um, I, I think it was just the simplicity of the product. It was just literally whittled down to its core. We will, they, our, our partners will send us text and we will send us, we will send text back and it all happens through API, our API. Uh, so I feel like that one scaled really well from the beginning. Does the agent-facing version utilize the your own, essentially eat your own dog food, kind of what utilize the pass? That is a big gap that we did not think through. Um, they're kind of two disparate like APIs and that is kind of causing headaches right now. So looking back at how we built them, um, so basically like the, the pass offering is like a countless. We have no concept of like a user, an agent user. It's just a conversational engine. And this other one obviously has a whole bunch of security and uh, permissions and authentication, um, you know, things built into it. Uh, they don't talk to each other. They're two different products as a whole and um, they shouldn't be. Uh, and that's something that we're working on now. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? So I would say from a product perspective, since I love all things product, um, uh, our script customization builder has been something that I'm extremely proud of. You'll, if you talk to our team across the board, I was the biggest uh, skeptic that that could ever be built. From day one, I said, I don't think there's any way you could build the complexity of scripting an entire conversation from scratch in a product, uh, at least not in the way that we wanted to. Um, so the big different differentiation between us and just like a typical chatbot is human, just having a human-like conversation. I'm sure you've probably experienced all sorts of button-based chatbots, or if you say the wrong thing, it says, I'm confused, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Um, that cannot happen in like really high ticket markets like software, insurance, real estate, where we have a lot of focus, um, especially like in, you know, real estate or insurance or something like that. You know, if people, you know, buy those things because of a big life event, a new child, um, a divorce, things like that, you know, they want to feel heard, understood and valued. And so we set out really hard from the beginning to say, 
we're going to have lifelike conversations through AI. And that was our goal. And that put a ton of complexity and stress on um, our kind of conversational engine. Um, and then what we learned over time working with salespeople was, hey, I want to tweak I want to tweak this script. I want to tweak what you said here. I want to adjust the answer that your bot used here. Uh, so we had we heard that so many times we had to build script customization or I don't think we'd be here today. Um, and trying to take that engine that um, has really lifelike conversations and turn it into something that be can be customized was a huge, huge challenge in terms of both like UI UX, product, conversational AI, and even just like CS and onboarding. So it was a full team effort to really get this script customization off the ground. And it's been working phenomenally against my better judgment many years ago when I said it wasn't possible. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of the biggest mistakes we made from a product perspective was not thinking about how we productize the pass offering early, early enough. Uh, so I think that like we, there was a bunch of writing on the wall when we were talking to our integration partners saying like, oh, I wish we could just have this product and res resell it. But we kind of took the first one, the first customer that we actually launched with that um, you know, we, we kind of took it easy. We didn't build it the right way. We kind of hacked it together and we're still today, uh, struggling with that first customer we got because we did not build the API as an actual like core product. There wasn't enough discovery done. There wasn't enough scoping done. It was just really hacked together and we're still paying the price on it. Um, so what I think we're learning now is uh, as we do this customer discovery, you know, be really deliberate with our questions, um, especially in a pass like offering, um, try and get customers to essentially pay upfront. Otherwise, uh, every, everyone here probably listening can attest to developers and engineers are some of the busiest people in the world. <laughs> uh, they are constantly in demand. And so when we get into this like sales cycle, when we are selling our pass offering, we usually hit a wall where our our partners are saying, oh, we can't offer developer resources to get this into our product. Uh, so if we if we were to have taken an approach a little bit earlier where we where we made it like super dead simple to get our code, essentially, our pass offering into our partners offerings, I think we'd see our sales cycle accelerate a lot more. Uh, quickly right now than we than we have today. Well, this is exciting to ask. What does the future look like for structurally the product and for your team? One thing that we're focused on right now is just expanding our markets. Um, you know, we're we've gotten a lot of traction uh, and really ate up the market and kind of financial services, mortgage, real estate, leasing, insurance, things like that. But at the end of the day, every company has leads and every company needs to convert leads into sales. Um, our, you know, our product works over text and email. Um, and so even any software company can use our product. We use our own product to sell our product as a SaaS company, um, which is really fun. And now we're trying to figure out how to take that, um, 
that script customization that we are so proud of and put it to the test to say, okay, now there's a, you know, a, a little, uh, a small shop down the road who should be using conversational AI to qualify their leads. And then there's a, a huge behemoth SaaS company who has a ton of leads with a ton of different use cases. Can we stretch our product? Did we build it generally enough, either through the pass offering or the SaaS offering, doesn't matter to us how they use it. Is it built general enough to solve their you know, lead conversion problem for sales and marketing? So that's where we're headed right now is uh, you know, a little bit more of a general approach um, to expanding our markets. You know, a question popped into my head around integration. So to structurally integrate with you know, no-code type solutions or Zappy or things of that nature, um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I don't think we would exist without Zapier today. Uh, so <laughs> we, uh, we are religious users of it and we integrate with it. Um, yeah, and you know, essentially, you know, you could probably argue that our product is somewhat no code. Um, you could build a chatbot with code using some more intense kind of chatbot builders if you want, or out of the box kind of natural language processing and AI tools. Um, but ours is point and click. You can use the script customization builder, builder and launch it live over text, email, and live chat instantly. Um, so it's kind of no code. Um, but yeah, integrate with Zapier, especially to get all of those CRMs and lead gen tools talking to us and us talking back to them. It's a huge connector for us. Um, and integration-wise, it actually goes back to what's next for Structurally. Uh, when I talked about expanding our markets, uh, we are taking a little bit more of a deliberate approach with who we integrate with and who their customers are. So we call it internally kind of a integration first market, um, market expansion strategy versus an industry by industry. Um, because each industry actually has like very niche CRMs and uh, lead gen tools. Like real estate has their own really niche CRMs, insurance does, auto does. Uh, and rather than trying to integrate with each one of those CRMs across every industry, we decided to say, hey, let's just go to the big CRMs and get an integration like HubSpot and Salesforce who cut across multiple markets uh, and just knock down, uh, knock down whoever comes in the door that way, regardless of what industry they're in, because we know we have an integration with their CRM and that's key. Uh, that's where we are going to focus our, our go-to-market strategy, basically, moving forward. Well, let's switch to you, Nate. Who influences the way that you work? Name a you know, CEO, CTO, a startup person, any, anyone really. Name a person you look up to and why. There's a lot. I kind of take bits and pieces from a lot of folks. Um, our board, so, um, you know, a little bit about myself, I was the CEO at Structurally. I was co-founder and CEO, and we recently brought in a, uh, a new CEO, um, Cliff Smith, who has been on our board since day one. He's been a um, veteran CEO of software companies, mostly around Iowa and uh, the Midwest. Uh, and we said, you know, we want someone who's been there and seen the movie basically before to take Structurally from where it is to where we want to be in the next five years or so. Um, so Cliff is someone I look up to as a CEO, for sure, as well as the other members of our board. Um, 
I would probably say from just like a more like influencer type um, person that I look up to is is Jason Lemkin from Saster. Um, I personally love his content. Um, I think he's, you know, for probably a totally different world than me as a like Midwest tech founder. Um, sometimes coastal SaaS companies like are a whole different story than how we operate. But I feel like deep down, a lot of his content, a lot of what he puts out there is very um, practical. It's very reasonable. And it's at the same time, like big and lofty because, you know, Saster is always about unicorns and trying to get to the next billion dollar valuation. But obviously there's so much work that gets there and not every company is going to be a unicorn. That's how they got their name. Um, and I think, you know, he realizes that and a lot of the content they put out is for uh, folks of all different sizes that can ultimately try and shoot towards being a unicorn, which we all ultimately want to do. <laughs> we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think it comes back to um, build a general product and market specifically. Um, there's so much to structurally that probably to the outside in screams financial services, real estate, mortgage, leasing. Um, and you know, even internally, our team probably feels that too, since that's where we've gotten our start. That's where we've gotten a lot of our revenue to date. Um, but that's not our future. Um, it is a part of our future. It's just not where we're betting the, betting the farm ultimately forever. Um, so I would say that it is somewhat, you know, bit us uh, in the butt a little bit today where now we're trying to expand markets, but maybe our marketing hasn't caught up or our current position hasn't caught up. So when we're selling outside of our core markets, these new customers are coming in and say, oh, you're not for my, you're not for me. You're not for my market. Uh, it doesn't look like you service me. When in reality, we more than we, we move, we do uh, with flying colors. We can definitely bring on and have brought on people from other industries, from all sorts of industries. Um, but it's kind of like we're fighting ourselves um, in that sales process and customer journey process. Uh, and I think that obviously that's our own doing. That's our own mistake. Um, I won't. I won't necessarily say like regret it because. In order to in order to have gotten our footing as well as we have in these markets, you have to have a really strong positioning, and say like this is for this specific reason in this specific industry, which is great. But now it's like, how can we kind of still support that but not shoot ourselves in the foot? Well, last question, Nate. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I don't know who coined this term, but I love it as a first time founder. Uh, first time founders obsess over product. Second time founders obsess over distribution. Um, so I would say that to myself um, in the early days. And I would say that to any person who, you know, just got their, their new startup off the ground. Um, you know, it's great. I'd love to see the product. That's what I would say to them. Um, but 
you know, I might sit here and focus on like, who are your, you know, who are your competitors? Not that that's something I obsess over every day, but how are you going to position yourself against them to carve out your moat, to carve out your niche, to differentiate yourself in the market, which essentially lends itself uh, itself to distribution. So one of the key moats to our distribution strategy is that SaaS offering. As soon as we sell into a CRM or lead gen tool, like we really lock out a huge part of the market because no other entrant can sell into a product that already offers conversational AI natively built in. So that was like a huge inflection point to, to structurally, like I said, but it also kind of has locked down a lot of the market and will continue to do so. And, you know, it was our product that got us there, but it was really a change in our distribution strategy that um, accelerated us. So I always, I always love that, that phrase, you know, uh, first time founders obsess over product, second time over distribution. That's awesome. I love that advice. Well, Nate, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Structurally. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.